Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Driving to the Basket. I am Mike. I'm here with Dante and Tommy. We uh, are going to speak today on a variety of topics, as usual. Uh, first weekly game recap, we're going to talk about the point guard situation, uh, the emergent play of Dennis Smith Jr. and Saban Lee during the absence of DeLon Wright. Uh, we'll talk about the second half of, uh, of the Pistons schedule, which was released recently. In keeping with that, more look at the Tankathon, which teams are threats, so to speak, to the Pistons draft position. And uh, yeah, then we'll just kind of see where that takes us. Might do actually uh, also planning on doing a sort of early trade deadline preview of uh, who on the Pistons has any trade value and, and may end up gone come uh, what I believe is the end of March is the trade deadline this season. So, all right, just uh, launching straight into the games. So four of them this week, uh, two against the Orlando Magic, one against the Pelicans, and finally last night's cont- uh, contest excuse me, against the Kings. We're recording this on, uh, on Saturday afternoon. So, uh, first game over at the Magic, lost by the Pistons, uh, which is good. This was important. Orlando, uh, we'll be talking about as one of the teams that is getting a little bit close, you know, a little bit too close for comfort to the Pistons in the standings. So, uh, really not a ton to say about this game. Uh, you know, Jeremy Grant uh, looked better after after what I believe was kind of a tough week. Uh, goodness, beyond that. Uh, yeah, very little to say beyond uh, Saban Lee came in and had and had a fairly good game. Uh, you know, 12 points, five assists, three steals. Uh, that was just really his first significant time, played 32 minutes. Uh, Josh Jackson, in which was sort of a trend this week, uh, was really bad. Uh, just, you know, issues with shot selections we talked about last week. Uh, it's really easy for him to end up with like, you know, 16, 17, 18 points. Unfortunately, it comes on number of opportunities that's you know two or three numbers greater and that's really bad efficiency you know any thoughts you guys had in the first orlando game um i didn't really think either orlando game was was uh, particularly notable um aside from i guess it was the emergence of the point guards so it's like you said that first orlando game the loss uh saban lee's first big minute game and he looked really good in my opinion and then the second orlando game dennis smith jr looked really good um, so I didn't take too, too much away from those, uh, aside from the storylines, I guess, that they would set up for later in the week. Um, that's all I really have to say about them. I honestly forgot they even happened. They just weren't that notable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of the same way. Those, the Saban Lee thing, uh, especially the second one, he scored 21, I think. Yes. Uh, really nice game from him. Wasn't expecting that at all. And I know we're going to talk about him later, but that's my main takeaway from that. Uh, really, really pleased to see what he was able to do there. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the second game, really, the Magic played played an absolutely terrible game. The Pistons were all right. It's just the fact is that that this season, if the Pistons beat a team, it's often going to be because the other team is either just straight bad or because they beat themselves. Uh, the Magic it was a little bit of both. They just couldn't really hit a shot in the second game, which uh, unfortunately for for the Pistons' place in the standings uh, ended up being a win. Yeah, that was the big game for Saban Lee. And there was really nothing else to take away from that game at all. I mean, even the Pistons didn't really have a good game on on the offensive end either. Had a a decent game on the defensive end, but uh, the Magic just kind of collapsed. They are a team that began the season with uh, with Jonathan Isaac and Markel Fultz. Uh, Those are two very important players for them. Uh, They're both out for the entire season. Uh, 
And then they were also missing Aaron Gordon, who's an important scorer for them. And, uh, you know, it was helpful for Saban Lee that he played both games against, uh, largely against uh, Chess and Randall, who's, I believe, a two-way player also. But I don't want to take anything away from him, forget that. But uh, And Dennis Smith Jr. got to go up against Michael Carter-Williams, uh, who peaked in his first NBA game. <laughs> Everybody, back then, it was his first game. It was, uh, it was the, I believe this was in, geez, was this the 2012 draft or the 2013? I think it was the 2013 draft. And he played his first game against the Heat, who still had LeBron. They were the, the, the defending champions. And he got a triple-double. Everybody was like, man, this guy's going to be amazing. And it was all downhill from there. Uh, yeah, like you guys said, not much, is, you know, aside, aside from the point guards. I believe that was the first game. Uh, the Orlando games were the first two of the rotation of, uh, of Lee and, and Dennis Smith Jr. after, after DeLon Wright's yeah. injury. So, and, and DeLon Wright has just uh, got a, a groin sprain, I believe. And, yeah. uh, you know, grade two won't, probably won't be out for long. No lasting damage, of course. So moving on to New Orleans, uh, a game in which the Pistons were really actually in it. I would say it was partly because Stan Van Gundy, uh, as we know, is a pretty terrible coach, apparently, from uh, what I have been told, take this with a grain of salt by uh, by acquaintances of mine who are Pelicans fans. He's actually done a fair job of adaptation on the defensive end. Uh, the, off- on the offense is still just an amorphous blob when, uh, when Zion isn't getting to the rim at will. And, uh, but he had a really good game. <clears throat> Uh, on the Pistons' end, yep, Plumlee had a, you know, had a pretty good game, all things considered, efficiency-wise. On defense, of course, you know, if you're a rim protector and you're trying, you're, you know, you need to stop Zion. You're probably going to have a pretty miserable experience, almost no matter who you are. And uh, you know, again, not not a particularly notable game all around. A decent team effort, I guess. Uh, the Pistons were playing without Jeremy Grant, which made it uh, doubly surprising that they actually managed to keep it close. Uh, a shout out to Isaiah Stewart too, uh, who actually had a pretty good game in both of the games against the Pelicans thus far. He's he's spent a fair amount of time on Zion, and as we mentioned in the past, I mean it's not easy to move Isaiah Stewart. You know, if he, if he plants himself, you're not really going to be able to bump him, even if you are two hundred thousand pounds like like <laughs> Zion Williamson. Yeah, anything anything to add about that one? No, I, I agree with you. I think Stewart had a strong game. Uh, Saban Lee, pretty good as well. And Dennis Smith Jr., not as efficient uh, as the game before, but continuing um, a level of respectability that I think is probably key in, um, I guess, continuing his career or just not finding himself out of the NBA completely because he really was, it was still is a reclamation project, right? Um, bit of a misfit. And so I, it's good to see that he's, it's not like, okay, he's going to score 16, 17 one night and then, you know, score zero and play horrible the next night. He's developing some level of consistency, which is good. Um, and yeah, that that's probably the most notable thing I took away. I mean, Josh Jackson's counting stats were good, but again, you touched on this, Mike. He's been, um, I, don't, I don't really know how to describe it. It's, I'll, I'll put it this way. My level of fun watching Josh Jackson has decreased significantly this week. Um, and it doesn't matter if he has 25 or 30 points. It's just not not really fun to watch when he's forcing a shot. And yeah, you can put up 25 points, but if it takes you, you know, 20 shots to get there, not a great night. Oh, 
20, 25 on 20 is all right. I mean, if, if you're not taking too many free throws, but so he had an okay night against the Pelicans, but yeah, for the most part, I mean, you're, you're putting up 20, you know, if you're putting up 20 points on, you know, 22, 23 opportunities, counting free throws, then yeah, you're not, you're not in good shape, but uh, he did okay against, he actually had a pretty good game against the Pelicans. That's he was the, is the Pistons best performer, at least in that respect. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, not so much. Mm-hmm. Maybe just this week in general, like as a generality, not been, um, not been particularly impressive. I guess is a good way to put it. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely altogether not a great week. Uh, you know, we can bring that on to the uh, the Kings game uh, last night. Uh, it was it was a pretty close one. Uh, the Kings certainly did everything they could to lose. They're not a great team. They've lost, I believe, uh, eight or nine straight. And they missed a ton of free throws down the stretch. Uh, whatever the case, yeah, uh, pretty pretty typical Josh Jackson game in this respect. Uh, about fourteen points on fourteen opportunities plus five free throws, for which he missed. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The guy's shot selection is just bad. This this is this is uh, this is this has been an issue with with uh, with Josh Jackson since his Phoenix days. Uh, he has mm-hmm. tunnel vision. He's predictable. Yeah. He takes shots he shouldn't. He tries to shoot himself out of slumps. So, yeah, he's he's been, um, you know, he's been a pretty selfish looking player the last little while. Um, And I think you can distinguish being a selfish player from being like a score first player who deserves to be a score first player um, based on. Yeah, like you said, the shot selection. So it's one thing to want to be the guy to take the shot, but it's a completely other thing when, you know, you're down low, surrounded by three guys who are all bigger than you with their hands up. Um, and rather than passing out to an open three-point shooter, you try to throw it back up at the net again. Um, that to me is, is I'm not sure what Casey is telling him, but it, it appears to be pretty selfish. And so hopefully that gets you know ironed out soon because the way that he started the season was a lot of fun. I'd like to see him return to some level of efficiency, but then again, I, I, I'm not overly optimistic. I guess we'll have to see. Um, and he's just going to continue this this kind of, role that Casey's carved out for him, which is pretty much you're a you're a chucker off the bench kind of thing. Yeah, his bench flamethrower. Um, yeah. He had his yeah, good two just weeks. A bench flamethrower. He, yeah, did. he had, he had, a, he did. He had a good and, couple of weeks in which he was one of the best bench players in the league and then and then he regressed again. And then this week has been ugly. He just you know at certain points he gets the ball and he's gonna go and try to score with it, period. And I guess yeah, absolutely I feel that way too. every time he gets the ball. Almost every time Josh Jackson gets the ball I think okay he's gonna find a way to like contort his body to somehow get a shot off here. And the past little while it's not, you know, produced good results. So that's been unfortunate to see. Yeah. It's so, uh, you know, that, that is what it is. Uh, he, he's, he's a reclamation project as well. Um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> six assists across four games. There was, it, it, you know, he was joked about, <laughs> before the season and you know it was asked oh did josh jackson pass in this game and it's like you know he was trying for a while he's just really bad passer they're not bad passer makes really <laughs> bad decisions yeah but, but whatever the case i mean it, it's fine both in that you know who knows hopefully he improves Casey Dwayne casey has said he coaches josh jackson more than he coaches anybody maybe he's telling him to take these shots but i doubt it i don't think Dwayne casey really manages in, in game this much anyway but uh but both he's a reclamation project, and also if he wants to go out and have a bad game, cool. Maybe the Pistons will have a lesser chance of winning. You know, it is all all about right. this draft pick this summer. There is hardly anything that is more important. Yeah, Tom, you got any thoughts about uh, about the Pelicans, about the Kings, about those games? 
I know. Just about uh, Josh Jackson. Um, for a guy who has that level of talent and that ability, he still has one of the highest ceilings on the team. I know Casey said that he's the guy that he spends the most time with. Uh, maybe this is him trying to like feel out what Josh Jackson can do. I know it's not the prettiest basketball right now, but for a team that's trying to lose, that's not the biggest deal to me. And maybe the fact that I want us to lose all these games is why I'm not really upset about it. But for a guy who, who has that ability, now is the time to kind of feel out what is he capable of and uh, maybe at some point, you know, you, you take away those really bad shots. And I think he can because we, we have seen that Josh Jackson can pass. So once Casey kind of tells him, OK, eliminate this from your game, focus on this. If that happens, I think he can be a significantly better player because, yeah, right now, like you said, he's forcing these horrible, horrible looks. But he has the athleticism sometimes where he just does incredible things like going to the basket. He does contort himself and he does uh, – make these really, really tough shots. So for now, yes, it's frustrating to watch. And if it continues that way and it doesn't look like it's improving at all, uh, I'll be more concerned. But it's, it is Casey's job to kind of reel him back. I do think he has confidence issues. So maybe that's part of what Casey's trying to do here. Like, you know, do whatever you want. Just get comfortable with it. Because I think after that Phoenix game where he came back from injury and he looked really rough, uh, he was kind of passive and he seemed unsure of himself. So maybe that's what Casey's trying to go for here. And that's, I guess that maybe that's just wishful thinking, but I, I do think there is some value to, you know, letting Josh get his shots up and uh, see what's good, see what's bad. Yeah, I, I, I think if he has a confidence problem, it's more that he's a little too confident. Yeah. Here's if I feel like he's a player, if he's stuck to good opportunities, he could be a pretty efficient scorer and, uh, and, and definitely a scoring threat overall that defenses really have to respect. He's always had his issues with the, the this kind of issue with shot selection. He just uh, like the bad mid range jumpers; those are easy to iron out. He didn't really, I didn't really see him take any of them this week. I don't think so. Anyway, he's always loved those, the, you know, the pull up mid range shots, and he's, he's always been awful at them. And you know, in his defense, very, very, very few players are good at those. But you know, it's very few players for whom those are an efficient shot, and you just you don't want players taking those. The thing is, he. There are a lot of situations in which he should not be attacking the basket, and he does it anyway. And I don't know if that's a that's a question of confidence. I think it's just one if he wants to score. And some nights he can become a little. Uh, don't get me wrong. So like I said, some nights he's he, he just gets in a in a rhythm and he's really good at it. It depends on the team he's going up against, of course. And and there are some things uh, in terms of attacking the basket which is very good. Like he has this thing he, he gets he gets the ball usually from Plumley. Uh, sometimes from Stewart, whatever, it's from one of the centers, uh, along the left side of the break, and he curls around, then uh, usually the center will roll to the basket and set a bit of a screen. And so he'll curl around, and then he'll, he'll leap, he's a good leaper, and he'll score off the backboard uh, from the right side of, uh, you know, from the right side of the, of the basket. And that's a staple play for him, and he's very good at it. He's good in transition. Because once he gets into really inside of the three-point line, he just busts in the second gear and he'll gather the ball and take some, you know, take a few strong steps and elevate, and it's tough to stop him in that situation. And he's a good cutter, and so on and so forth. But there are just a lot of plays where the guy dribbles it in and into shots that are going to be low percentage for all but a very few players, very few players in the NBA. Plus his three-point. So he's got great lift on his, on his three-point shot. That's nice, but it's his form is still a little bit wonky, and he's unreliable. 
So if he's just a guy who can shoot threes and and pick his battles in terms of attacking the basket, you know, brilliant. That can be a good player. He's a fairly good at foul prone defender. But I don't mind that he's playing badly. It's just uh, it, it annoys me on principle. That's all. Is I, I feel like he's the only player on the team who really looks for his own shot when he shouldn't. So yeah, I completely agree. Completely agreed, Mike. And and that's, that's just. Yeah, that's a reflection of uh, of the character of this team. So like we said in the last episode, I, I definitely give Weaver credit for that. So you've got a lot of, you know, you've got a collection of players who almost without exception are not looking out for themselves. So I spoke a bit, uh, we spoke a bit about uh, about Sevenly and Sevenly, excuse me, and Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, those have been, uh, those two have been taking up all the point guard minutes since DeLon Wright has been out and it's, uh, it's definitely uh, been enjoyable. I would say. It's yeah. been a blast. It's been a blast. We've, we've gone many, many years without, you know, a fun point guard. Um, now it seems within the span of less than a year, we've got an abundance of them, right? We've got Killian who we don't quite know what he is yet. We've got Saban Lee who's completely um, surpassed all of our, I honestly, it, feels disingenuous to say that he sur- surpassed my expectations because I didn't really even have expectations for just a random second round pick, but he's, he's, yep. he's been great. And then Dennis Smith jr. Um, we were speaking a bit before the podcast. I've been, I've been a big fan of his since watching his high school mixtapes. Um, I thought he was going to be a special player in the NBA based off that crazy athleticism alone. Um, and obviously his career has followed a bit of a different path, but I mean, you know, this is Detroit we're talking about. It's like the land of the misfit toys, right? Um, players come here, uh, see if they can reclaim their careers. And Dennis Smith, he, there's just something about him watching him play. Uh, he flashes it once in a while. Um, last night with that crazy dunk, and then again when he had, um, he drove to the to the hoop and then um, laid out this gorgeous pass that I'm not even sure how he contorted his body to do it. Um, and there's moments like that, those flashes that kind of remind you why he was a highly sought after prospect. Um, he's got these special attributes to him that, you know, when unlocked to their full potential could be truly great. Um, unfortunately, because of a variety of things, he hasn't been able to put it all together, but I'm really, really rooting for him. Um, and another thing I've, I've loved that's been a big surprise to me too, is I, I didn't realize he was such a good defender. I don't know if this has been something he's been good at, or this is a new thing because he watched the bad boys documentary and now he feels like playing defense, but he's, he's been really good on that end. It feels like he's always got his hand in the passing lanes. He's, he's a pesky defender. Um, he's not particularly big for his position and yet he plays bigger than he actually is on that end of the floor. So overall a great surprise. Um, and I hope that he can keep it up because honestly, anybody under the age of you know, 25, 26, who's showing even a modicum of potential is a huge asset for this team. It's, it's something we desperately need. The more assets, the better. So I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with it so far. I'm going to keep rooting for him. Keep watching that dunk, um, <laughs> replaying it over and over. Cause it's a blast to watch. And, and yeah, I'm happy so far. Uh, and that ties into a bit, uh, with DeLon Wright too, but we can get into that after those are just my thoughts on Dennis Smith. I'm more excited for Saban Lee. Yeah, yeah. I'm really just I'm, just I'm just surprised at how comfortable he looks out there. Like when we drafted him, I didn't even really pay attention because these second round guys, I mean, they only turn into an NBA player like a quarter of the time, and this alone is just like further uh, 
increase my my trust in Troy Weaver's drafting ability. Uh, he, he looks like an NBA player already. Uh, he's lightning quick. He's comfortable pushing the pace, which I love. He's catching guys on the back pedal. Him and Stewart are already showing a nice two-man game, and I love their fit together. And both of those guys are trying to be the first one down the floor when they get the ball, and I love that. Uh, they show a little bit of chemistry in the half court in the pick and roll, and so mm-hmm. I really like the fit there. I think Saban makes a lot of sense as like the long-term backup for this team, uh, if he can keep this up, that is. I mean, it's only been a week, but it's just a very pleasant surprise every time something like this happens. Uh if he can keep these percentages up, because, I mean, he's shooting really well. And I don't think that was something that we expected from him. He was We knew he was like this attack-the-basket kind of guy, but he was showing three-level scoring versatility. I mean, he was sh- shooting mid-range floaters, uh, knocking down catch-and-shoot threes. I mean, the, f- the form is not pretty, but if it keeps going in, who cares? And, exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. He's just displayed so much. And like you said, if, if, this, if either of these guys are, are for real um, – this makes Delon all the more expendable, and if we can get another asset for him, oh, for sure. Talk about—I mean, you can talk about the fact that, like, it's not—we don't even see like a significant drop off. I don't think. Yeah, oh, I, for, yeah, I, I completely agree. Oh, go ahead, Mike. Sorry. No, I was, I was saying I don't really care if there's a significant drop off. Not this season. <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah not it's, this it's, season. It's been fun to watch. It, it's it's just inherently for me, it's fun to watch the guys who actually have a future with the team. I mean. Part of that's just because we spent so many years just, just watching the Pistons spin their wheels, tread water, and it was just to to stay. Maybe, 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 maybe we'll be good enough to make the playoffs. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so we'll go over. It. So Dennis Smith Jr. first. So, so his background, he's super athletic. Fun fact about him: he's actually one of a, a relatively small percentage of the population who have uh, two ACLs. And then he's, so he tore his ACL. I feel ACL like I read school. about that somewhere. Yeah. 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 He tore his ACL in high school. And usually it's a problem when you tear your ACL that can lead to a long-term uh, reduction in athleticism, but he did, didn't hurt. And he was back dunking very quickly. And so he went in to have it looked at and he had to have it operated on anyway, but that, uh, you know, that the surgeon found that he had two ACLs or whoever, I mean, obviously not the surgeon. And when they did, uh, when they did x-rays, I would imagine. Uh, so really athletic like super athletic guy at, uh, and in he didn't have the greatest uh, rookie season with Dallas uh, kind of struggled from the field uh, he's a guy who who's also just uh, who, who's also historically just well not historically isn't that much much run in the NBA yet uh, whatever we'll go with this so yeah really athletic definitely a decent distributor it doesn't have the best wingspan actually he's only his wingspan I think six three six four. Uh, so he's just a little undersized altogether, but didn't have the greatest rookie season. And then in his sophomore season, he did better. However, he was playing next to Luka Doncic. So obviously his role was reduced. And then he was part of the Porzingis trade and completely flamed out in, in New York. He was one of the worst players in the league last season. And this season he had, uh, he had asked to go to the G League bubble, not because he was saying, man, I'm so bad. I need to play at a lower level just because he wanted to be able to play, period. So he was kind of like a – it was just a throw-in in this trade uh, trade for Rose just to match salaries. It's just kind of a why not. I don't think anybody uh, – really, at least on the national level, looked at him and said, oh, he has more left in the tank. So what he's done with the Pistons so far uh, hasn't, in my opinion, has not been as good as he as, as he has looked. I mean, he really struggled in his first – you know, in his first few games. Uh, not just he did, yeah. Games, really until his last three games. Uh, he's, he's struggled in the, in the time he's gotten. 
And, you know, like you said, he's, he's done really well on defense. That's fun. It, uh, it, it brought me back to uh, the days of a little bit of the Pistons, uh, just like the two young guard, young point guards playing and, and Lee has been pretty good on defense too. The Pistons in the, uh, in their 2004 playoff run when they last won the championship, they had the pit bulls off the bench. That was Mike James and Lindsey Hunter, uh, who would just play really tough defense. Like the rest of that team, Lindsey Hunter, just, uh, you know, ultimately arguably the worst volume playoff shooter of all time, but that's besides the point. <laughs> so uh, Smith has definitely been a pivotal defender. He's really good at staying in front of his guys. He's got really active hands and he's worked hard. So one of his issues in New York was, uh, and, and uh, I believe in his, in his second season with Dallas is just that he was, he was a, an egotistical malcontent. Just, you know, his, his ego was out of control. Uh, he was just, a, just an overall behavioral cancer to the team. And it seems like uh, that has not been the case in Detroit at all. I mean, it seems, who knows, maybe he's grown past that. Now, the issue with Dennis Smith on offense, and maybe this is just a product of him not being in game shape. It's just been said that, that uh, because he really hasn't, hadn't played the season before coming to Detroit. Uh, and uh, it had been, I, I believe, self-quarantining in the G League bubble. And, uh, you know, prior to this point, prior to being able to play. Uh, but... He has not really succeeded. Uh, he has been very unable to attack the basket. Put it that way. He saw a couple of a couple of flashes last night uh, against a very weak, in, uh, you know, interior defense. Well, Marvin Bagley at least, and uh, just that the Kings have a terrible defense overall. But he, yeah, he's he's really struggled to get into the interior. That's that's an issue with the point with a point guard, and it's it's the reason why in, in two out of those, excuse me, in three out of those last four games, Saban Lee has gotten more run because he can he can't penetrate. So Smith has been efficient on the back of good three-point shooting and, you know, for the most part, or just jump shots. And, you know, when he has the ball, when he's off the ball, he cuts a little bit and, and he's gotten some points off of that. But for the most part, when he's been on the ball, it's been jump shots. And, and and Dennis Smith Jr. is not a good jump shooter. He never has been. His form is ugly. He's just, he's not good at it. That's not going to last. So if the guy wants to actually be effective on offense. He needs to be able to get to the interior. And that's something he's really struggled to do so far. So on offense, he has not been as really as good as he looks as, as good as he's looked. You know, he has racked up some assists, uh, you know, the last two games, 13 assists. A lot of those have really been of the more uh, prosaic sort, not necessarily uh, by means of really driving and breaking down the defense. So that's something that will have to improve. And, uh, you know, we'll see where he goes with it. I mean, if, if, he, if by the end of the season he's still not there, I don't expect he'll be with the Pistons next season. And, uh, and just who knows overall. Uh, what's come to mind is like, you know, okay, if you can't penetrate to the basket, but you can't shoot and you can play good defense, who knows, maybe you could play as an undersized, you know, an undersized combo guard or something like that. Uh, just for the record, for uh, just a clarification within the salary cap, he does have a qualifying offer for next year. That's uh, about $7.5 million, I believe. Qualifying offer is only to maintain his rights as a restricted free agent. The Pistons are not required to pay him that. It's not an option. Uh, you know, it's not a player option or a team option, rather. Uh, if you decline to give a player a qualifying offer, it just means he becomes an, an unrestricted free agent, which means you don't have the right to match offers. At that point, you can make him whatever offer you want. You still have his bird rights. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So, Saban Lee, good to see. Guy's really athletic. So, like, 9 out of 10 athleticism. Uh, almost uh, absolutely detonated on, on Vucevic, but, uh, but got fouled uh, and it wasn't called. And it's been fun. The guy, when he's aggressive, can attack the basket. He can get past guys. He absolutely burned uh, De'Aaron Fox just in isolation yesterday. That was fun to see. Yeah. And he's good at scoring mm-hmm. when he gets there. He's pretty crafty. 
he's been shooting pretty well. The form is ugly. Who knows if that'll last? Uh, he's, he's got work to do on it. Uh, his defense has been fairly good. Uh, T. Like Smith has his very active hands. It helps that the guy is six two. He's got a six nine wingspan. That's very nice. I mean, that's <laughs> uh, having mm-hmm. a long wingspan is very nice. Yeah. So it's just been exciting to see, and by all accounts, and, and we were really focused on this in the draft. I know he's he's a very high character and a hard worker. So yeah, it's just been fun overall. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's uh, anything else you guys want to add about them? I mean, we can just move straight on to Delon Wright and where this leads him, maybe. Um, I like to talk about Delon Wright as little as possible. Honestly, I'd rather <laughs> stick with Saban Lee and 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 Dennis. Well, mostly <laughs> I, I've said my piece about Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, but Saban Lee, I think Tommy, you might've touched on this a little earlier, uh, or maybe it was you, Mike, but we were just saying so many positive things about him. One thing that I've noticed is that he's, he's a very, um, diverse scorer, which shocked me. Uh, you know, a guy like that with that archetype, um, you know, the short, fast, uh, point backup point guard who reminds you a little bit of like Ish Smith, Derek Rose, um, for, for being that archetype of a player. Um, it surprised me to see some mid-range floaters, um, some cuts to the basket, um, not only finishing with like kind of slippery layups, but also absolutely hammering dunks down, um, as well as, you know, catch and shoot threes. I know we've, we've continued to say that the form is ugly. He like brings the ball to the side of his head, uh, which looks like, you know, when like an eight-year-old isn't strong enough to like shoot, so they have to use their whole upper body to do it. Uh, but but it, it's going in. Right. Uh, Sadiq Bay has a nice form, but doesn't have a great traje- trajectory. Um, so they're they're what basketball comes down to really is. Can you make what you want to happen happen? And if that's his shooting form and it's going in, who cares what it looks like? Honestly, uh, I have some suspicions that uh, because he's shown flashes of really good play and a higher level of potential that we maybe previously thought he'll get some extra attention from the development staff. And maybe we could see some reworks to the jump shot, but overall, yeah, very diverse. Um, and diversity in scoring is just about as useful as, you know, uh, Mike, you were talking about his wingspan. So combine the wingspan with the scoring diversity and you've got the makings of a, of a high potential player. Um, and when I say scoring diversity, I of course mean you are not shoehorned into one way of scoring. You can do so in a variety of ways, and when you bust out, you know, some cool moves, some cool dribbles, uh, slicing through the defense, it's not because you have to do that to score. It's because you are able to do that to score. And the best way to score in this situation is to, you know, do the move that you choose. So th- that was super shocking to see that he could score in so many different ways. And and who knows, maybe like he keeps surprising us. Maybe he's got some more ways to score that we're not seeing. Maybe he'll turn into Trey Young and he'll start shooting threes from the logo too. So who knows? <laughs> yeah, I'd be a little surprised to see that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you never know. Crazier uh, yeah. things have happened. Eh, I don't know. I would say else. in this case, I'd find that highly unlikely. Trey Young is, I mean, just kind of this otherworldly shooter. Uh, mm. I'd, be, I'd be satisfied on, on a second round pick. I'd be satatisfied if Saban Lee became a long term backup point guard. No, uh, Hall of Famer only. Hall of yeah. Famer only, or he's a bust. That's it. Yeah, it's Hall of Famer or or nothing, or or as they mm-hmm. would say you know, in a popular meme, you know, if he doesn't do it, jail. Best patients in the world because of jail. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's you know he's raw. He's got some. He's got he's, he's got some uh, some some seasoning to do. He's, he gets a little bit. He, he tends, if there's somebody in front of him, to, to sort of just stop instead of try to drive around him or finish through contact, draw a foul. Drawing fouls was a specialty at Vanderbilt. 
really, I think, I think he led the conference in, in free throw attempts. So he only shot about 75%. That's got to improve. So, right. Yeah. Saban, th- this is kind of a personal thing, honestly, but like they, there are four guys on this team now that I see as like long-term pieces uh, in roles that could really contribute towards a championship team, which in previous years, like there was none. Like you, you just knew you couldn't build around Griffin uh, or Drummond. And so it was just kind of waiting for those guys. But now I see like four guys in sp- specific roles. And we've talked a little bit about this, but I see Jeremy Grant is a second option. Sadiq Bey is a fourth option uh, in the starting lineup on a championship team. And now I think Saban Lee can be, you know, your backup. I think he, he fits that role really, really well because with his athleticism, it doesn't matter as much when even if his shots aren't falling. And I think we have to kind of contextualize this. It's been a week. Uh, his shooting splits could yeah. tank. Uh, so keep that in mind, I guess. But even if he's just the guy who's playing that Ish Smith game, like you mentioned, Dante, uh, if he's just that guy who can get to the rim and score there, him and Isaiah Stewart, I, I really like the, the two-man game that they flashed. Uh, yeah. Even Stewart passing out the ball to him and uh, Saban getting these catch-and-shoot threes up. I don't think he's I don't think he's displayed anything in the way of creating his own three-pointers, but he's creating his own drives and his own floaters. But uh, if Stewart mm-hmm. can get the ball to him, or if anybody can get the ball to him on, on the perimeter and he can knock that down, I really like his fit there because I think our bench unit plays a really unselfish brand of basketball outside of Josh Jackson. So I really like his fit there. I think he's become like my fourth guy who I can see long-term contributing to the next Pistons championship team. And again, it's been a week, yeah. but I really like his fit and the way that he plays within that unit. Well, I know it's only guy. been a week. I know it's only been a week, but also too, uh, Tommy, you just mentioned like um, these foundational pieces. I, I, I was having this thought, uh, a couple days ago, and I knew I wanted to bring it up. It's like there are probably four or five guys on this team right now who, like, honest, honestly, three, four years ago, maybe even less than that, if even one of the, these guys were on those teams, we would view them as like the crown jewel future of our franchise, like the one guy with potential that we could possibly build around. And now we have four or five of them, you know? And and so that to me, uh, I don't think Troy Weaver's been a perfect general manager by any means, but it, it really speaks to the 180 that this organization has done because we went from no young foundational pieces to we have a bunch of young players now. We're trying to sort out who the cornerstones are. So I guess just as a in a in a broader sense, it's it's a good time to be a Pistons fan. Honestly, it really is. And then we're dealing with what one tanking season, maybe two. Uh, not sure if we're going to be able to tank next year because, like you guys said, with marginal improvements from the young players as well as like steady play from Jeremy Grant plus another high lottery pick, I don't envision us being super bad for much longer. Um, yeah. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It really isn't because we have a lot of pieces in place. And because of Troy Weaver's activeness on draft night, we have more pieces in place than a normal team would be at this point in their timeline of a full-on rebuild. So I'm, I'm I'm pretty optimistic, and um, compared to like what the fans had to put up with in years past, it's it's like complete night and day. Like yeah, the fact that we can even sit here and have these conversations, you know? Yeah, I would I would say it's relative. I mean, yeah, you can look at you can look at the guys and the t- you know the young players in the team about about whom you know we would all uh, I think just in Pistons fandom in general have been excited you know two three four years ago. I'd say I mean most of the guys in the team right now. That I would say 
with the exception of Jeremy Grant, and who knows, maybe Seca will grow up to surprise people or, or something. It's kind of what you see is what you get. They're not, they might be foundational pieces, but they're not going to be kind of the leaders of the team. Yeah, I think we'd be excited about them because we had nothing to be excited about, <laughs> pretty much. It's, yeah, uh, that was the, had, that was uh, the idea. Yeah, yeah. No, I know what you're saying. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. You know, you had Stanley Johnson, who was, you know, looked somewhat somewhat promising in his first season, but yeah, the LeBron know. killer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he had he had a decent playoff yeah. series against the Cavs. Yeah, it was four games, but uh, yeah, he just went yeah. downhill after that. Uh, Henry mm-hmm. Ellenson, who should never have been on this team in the first place, and. Uh, and, and Kennard, who, you know, who, who breached the ceiling pretty early. Like, you know, Bay, Bay, I think, is what he is. And I think he might improve a bit, but he's definitely a valuable player. Stewart's got some a way to go, but he's, he's going to be, a, at the very least, a valuable a valuable character guy and, and who can provide on the courts. And, yeah, yeah he's, he's looking like he has the, you know, thus far, like he has the makings of a, uh, you know, of, of a player who can stick in the rotation. That's fantastic for the second round. I don't agree that he can get by as an Ish Smith type player. Ish Smith type players, even including Ish Smith, I'd say, are entirely obsolete at this point. So, I mean, that, that that's that's my opinion, though. I, I think just in terms of it's just it's so so basically necessary these days as anybody but a center to be able to play off the ball on the perimeter. Like if, I agree. If, yeah, if you yeah, can only play on the ball, then then you are inherently there's an opportunity cost for fielding you period uh, for because, sure yeah, because for the sure, offense yeah. has to play around you so mm-hmm. yeah I, but i mean i i don't i don't see you know who knows i mean there's some guys who just can't do it as a shooter period i'd like to think he's not one of them you know i don't think this you know we'll see i, I don't think no he's 21 uh, years he's, he's 21 years old yeah oh he's definitely hesitant but also too he's 20 21 years old and he's hitting you know, he's going three for three from three in a game in an yeah. NBA game. That's pretty good. Uh, not yeah, to say that that's, you know, this giant sample size, but he clearly is capable. He's not Ben Simmons. You know what I mean? I think Ben Simmons could shoot if, you know, I think I think Ben Simmons is a victim of being very good at everything else on offense. Though shooting is absolutely vital. <laughs> I think I think if he were, you know, a role player rather than, you know, star level talent as, as, a, as a creator and attacking the basket, he would have learned to shoot by now. I don't think this, I think he just doesn't want to, but. Some guys can't That's do it. That's a fair assumption. Yeah, some guys can't do it. Andre Roberson, who was a fantastic defender, and uh, and and uh, I have no doubt worked very diligently to become a good shooter. Couldn't do it. Who knows if Bruce Brown will ever put it together? Uh, some guys just don't have it. Tony Allen didn't have it. So anyway, yeah. Why don't we move on to uh, a you know brief trade deadline <laughs> preview, which will be very brief, just in terms of. Uh, the players whom we think could conceivably be moved. I mean, I, I'm sure we're all under the understanding that a lot of players are, you know, you're not you're not going to move Hayes, uh, Lee, or you know, the vast majority of the players in this roster really are they're just not going to get traded. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. well, I would say I, I think probably, first, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I would say if if we're talking about trade deadline, the conversation begins with Delon Wright. Um, I don't, I, I've made my feelings about him known on this podcast. I've also, you know, left a lot of comments, which cause a lot of debates, but quite honestly, I don't think he's that good of a player. Uh, he had a run of really good play for about two weeks that I think the league took notice of, but with the emergence of Saban Lee, with the, if you can call it an emergence of Dennis Smith Jr. And then with Killian Hayes coming back, I, I don't think there's a place for DeLon Wright on this team. And I, I don't think his value is ever going to be higher than it is right now. Um, and he needs to go. He needs to go, even if it means you get a crappy second round pick in return, because 
the potential, and this is just my opinion, feel free to disagree, but the potential of Lee, Smith Jr., and Hayes vastly outweighs the importance of whatever DeLon Wright can offer you on a night-to-night basis for a rebuilding team. So I think DeLon Wright has to go. And then um, Wayne Ellington, I think, is just a garbage can. Um, but if someone feels like paying for a garbage can, feel free. <laughs> that's Yeah, I wouldn't count on it either, but, you know, I could dream, right? So that's um, – I, I think it starts with DeLon Wright. We can maybe pray that somebody throws a second for Wayne Ellington. Um, and then other than that, I, I've seen some people speculate that, oh, Seku hasn't been impressive. He's not a Weaver guy. He could be on the move, but I, I really, really doubt it. Um, so, yeah, I think it's right in Ellington. I'd be pretty surprised if anyone else was moved. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, Tommy, any thoughts? Ahead, yeah, I have thoughts, but you go ahead. Uh, so I would say, yeah, I would move DeLon Wright for a second round pick, uh, you know, easily without, you know, without question. You know, you get some salary filler back in the trade probably. But he's an average you know, kind of an average, maybe slightly below average backup quality point guard. His main, uh, you know, his main worth on the on the uh, the trade market would be that he would come cheap. I don't think the Pistons have anything to gain by keeping him. You know, it's like maybe you play him at shooting guard somewhere if you next season. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how much of a presence he is in the locker room. I'm not convinced Dennis Smith Jr. would be on the team next season, uh, but. I, I just think, I mean, at first, like when he was playing well, like he had. Uh, he had a good stretch, uh, you know, seven game stretch in which he was good in four games. Uh, prior to that, in his first fifteen games as starter, he was, I would say, almost certainly the worst starting point guard in the league. Is really bad, and uh, like basically, Delon Wright's only strength is that he is, uh, a, you know, is, is a safe distributor of the ball. You know, beyond that, he's not the greatest shooter. He's not the greatest to get into the rim, and he's just really not the greatest at, at distributing at all. He just doesn't turn the ball over much. He's not a particularly good defender. So if you have a team that's looking for a reliable backup point guard, like maybe the Sixers, if they don't feel like Maxi really is the answer at backup point guard right now or Shake Milton, then they might not. And sure, you dump him for a second round pick. Previously, before his injury, I was just thinking, you know, the Pistons maybe are looking a little bit too good right now and you want to keep that from happening, so just ship him out. But yeah, I think you can get a first, a second round pick out of it. It opens up minutes for these for these younger players. You don't know if Hayes is going to be back this season or not. Uh, at this point, I would say probably not. And, and maybe that's for the best. Uh, you know, if, if we go by the school of, uh, of the 76ers, it means he's going to turn into a superstar. So it's all good. You know, round pick. Misses, Fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah. Misses. Well, he didn't miss it. Uh, you know, he played seven games. So that's about 10% of the season. So he's going to be 10% less of a superstar than Embiid and Simmons. So we're all good. I'd be okay with that. Anyway. Yeah. I, I don't think it'd be back, but <laughs> the value of getting rid of him is a keeping the team from being too good. because I think he probably still is the best of those three point guards just because the other two are, you know, who knows? Maybe I think maybe Saban Leo will surprise us this season. Only Dennis Smith Jr. will, but, and also just get another asset. I mean, DeLon writes. Sure. I mean, I know Casey really likes him, but I think he, yeah, I think you just get an asset for him if you can, even if it's a second round pick. Yeah. And totally agree. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, looking down the line, Wayne Ellington, I'd say not going to happen. Uh, you know, my, my metaphor for Wayne Ellington season is that he went rocketing out into the stratosphere with his shooting. Like he, he was, he was shooting an absurd percentage, you know, like at like 70, 78% true shooting, I think for seven games, averaging 19 points. Uh, and, and then I don't know, he hit a bird or something, you know, I don't think there are birds in the strata, you know, all the way up there, but you know, he, hit, he hit a piece of space debris or something. 
and uh, yeah. he went into an uncontrolled descent, and he carved out a really giant impact crater, and that's where he's been ever since. Oh, uh, yeah. He has been, yeah, he has been absolutely terrible uh, ever since his, his like the, the Warriors focused on him, and in that uh, the game the Pistons played against them at the end of January, he has been terrible ever since. Uh, over his last eleven games, uh, I believe he has made eleven threes. He's shot south of 20% from three. And when you look at his season as a whole, you know, he had those seven really good games. But if you if you take those away, he's at like 26% from three. The guy contributes God. nothing else of substance. Not a good passer. No, terrible he's defender. A, yeah, if you set a screen on him on defense, you're going to beat him. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you set an off-ball screen, he's done. Uh, he's not, you know, he's not a particularly good shooter off the dribble. Like, he's not going to score it inside the arc. You know, he's, he's a player, basically, if you were going to get anything for him at the deadline, he had to be shooting consistently above 40% because during the playoffs, rotations shrink. If you want to make it another rotation of the playoffs, you have to be a legitimately useful player. That means shooting a very high percentage from three, even if you're only getting 15 minutes a game, because otherwise you're just, it, there's the opportunity cost of fielding you over, over a better player. And those uh, in the playoffs, generally your starters are playing 40 minutes a game. So I would say at this point, like if he had just if he had exploded in the seven games and then even kept it up at like forty five percent, sure maybe you get a second round pick for him. At this point, the jig is up. He is who he is, and he really hasn't taken a step forward at all. He's been completely unreliable lately. He's been terrible. He's been bad for most of the season. Uh, he's a he's a thirty three year old with no upside. I'd say the chances yep. of him if he's going anywhere at the deadline, it's because he was just he was because because he, he wanted to leave and he was waived. I also think you want to get him away from Dwayne Casey because despite the fact that he's awful, he probably still has more sets called for him than any player not named a Jeremy Grant. So, yeah, I guess, yeah. yeah. So it's yeah, I felt exactly. It, it's similar to my feelings on Delon Wright, where it's like um, the the positives of of not having him on the team anymore aren't even really counting the asset you would get back. It's more in terms of like now your minutes are going to other players, you know? So Wayne, um, that's my pipe dream is for someone to trade for him. I know it's not going to happen, but you know, I lie to myself off and I never believe myself, but I lie to myself off and about those kinds of things. Maybe if an opposing Um, jam is on bath salts or something, we might get him, but uh, (laughs) you you never know. I I would hope that nobody in the NBA is using bath salts. Those are really bad. Those are bad for you. Yeah. Yeah, But if you were to use them, maybe you would say, you would talk yourself into the fact that Wayne Ellington is, can help your team. Um, make a deep playoff run and if you that were to, to happen really <laughs> you need to be really oh messed God. up <laughs> yeah you would have to fill a bath with the salts and then eat all of those and yeah. then you would but it would be but point being i want him off the team because i hate <laughs> when he's on the floor i hate when he gets the ball i hate when he shoots it um you know i had um i had a sinus surgery a few years ago and i oh, couldn't God, like sleep Well, I'm getting there. I I couldn't sleep like flat on my back. I had to sleep upright in a chair. And around this time, my family decided to go to Florida without me. So I was looking at these Florida pictures on Instagram, sitting alone in my living room with with, like two giant tubes up my nose to keep the broken septum straight. And I would go through that, then watch a set run for Wayne Ellington. I I swear to God, I would go through that again. It's... it's, I hate, I, I hate it so much. You have to I know. <laughs> yeah, we had, we had, we had, at one point, think back to this, we had both Wayne Ellington and Langston Galloway on the team at the same oh time. God. Oh, my <laughs> God. One for yeah. each tube in my nostril. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, so it's yeah, like, it, it, I had to go back. I don't feel as strongly about giving his minutes <laughs> elsewhere because there aren't many. 
There's only Svi, really. But but Svi, I would rather get the minutes go to him, even though he struggled this season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. My I only agree. question is... I just don't want him touching the ball. Yeah. 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 The, my only question with this, because I'm not really good at predicting trades, is do you think they're going to try to replace some of the veteran leadership that they lost with Rose leaving? I know that a lot of the young guys looked up to him and then Griffin stepping away from the team. I think that's the only question for me. I feel like Troy has tried really hard to like bring in these high-character leadership guys. Josh Jackson has said, like I really like the fact that we have these guys on our team. Uh, I didn't have that in Phoenix. I think that makes a big difference. I could see That's the only thing I could see Weaver like really targeting. Uh, because I don't think he wants to make the team significantly better. Maybe he just wants to bring in a guy who, you know, further instills this this high character uh, group of guys. And I got keeps it. That- Trade for Andre yeah. Drummond, veteran no. leadership. Oh my I god! Mean, yeah, who who could bring better? What did I think of that? Sets, yeah, who sets a better example than Andre Drummond? I mean, honestly, Nobody. the guy goes and leaves it all out there on the floor. He never thinks about himself. And uh, I'm starting to like taste vomit in the back of my throat right now. I can't even joke. We should pair that. him. We should pair him with Reggie Jackson, actually. Yeah. If you the know, Clippers Reggie, are shopping him, maybe we. I, I, I was thinking about this, and this is completely. I, I don't actually think this, but it's like I liked Reggie by the end because I think he really reformed himself. I absolutely don't want him back in this team. But like, if he ended up back in this team through some bizarre means for the rest of the season, I wouldn't feel horrible about it. Uh, but but Drummond's yeah. Um, nobody wants him right yeah. now. Yeah. Nobody yeah, sorry, I know, I know we interrupted you, Tommy. Uh, oh, no, that's, I mean, that's it. Like, that's the only thing. Like, I feel like we did lose a lot of veteran leadership, and that's the only thing. Like, I, with Delon, you guys want to move Delon and Wayne, and uh, I think Svee would get moved, but that's that's a separate thing. I just I feel like maybe this team is lacking some of the the veteran leadership. I think Plumley was the character guy, but yeah. I, I don't think it would be a bad idea to bring some of that back. Well, here's what you I have mean, to do to bring some of that back. You have to like you have to return it in a trade. Number one. And, uh, and and that's not necessarily so easy, uh, but also the, I mean the team is the team is full right now in terms of roster spots. I mean unless Griffin gets bought out, that'll open up a roster spot. Uh, you can waive Rodney Magruder. His his twenty twenty one twenty twenty two salary is completely non guaranteed. I mean he still counts against the cap this year, but that's you know that's is what it is. I mean the team will still be over the cap no matter what. You can you can sign uh, you could sign somebody with a veteran minimum. You can bring guys in on ten day contracts, but yeah. as far as veteran leadership goes. Yeah, I mean, you got Plumley, you have Grant. Uh, Ellington, I think, will stay for that reason. I just wish he wouldn't start anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, who knows? Who knows? I, I think for for the purposes of this season, probably not. But you could yeah. bring back, Yeah, I was going to joke about bringing back Dwayne Deadman. You know, his veteran leadership. <laughs> the Pistons couldn't do that even if they wanted to. You can't bring him back. You know, yeah, exactly. If you're paying a guy. Uh, if, you stray, if, you, you know, mm-hmm. if you're paying a dead cap, you, if you've stretched his contract, you can't bring him back until it's over. Yeah, I think yeah. I think leadership, uh, you know, I, I guess the caveat veteran leadership kind of lends itself to, OK, you want someone over the age of 30. But just, you know, if you're a big professional sports fan, it's pretty I think when you think about it a little deeper for a second, uh, you realize that leadership isn't really assigned an age number. I mean, um, yeah, Blake and, and Derek were great leaders during their time here. It seemed like the players, the younger guys absolutely loved them. But, you know, if you switch sports for a second, you go over to football, um, there are stories that, you know, Matthew Stafford, he like separated his shoulder uh, in a game against the Browns, came back through the game winning touchdown, and he was 21 years old at the time. And the team loved him from there on out for the rest of his career as a Lion. And so I think that you can lead by example, not just age and not just experience. So all it takes is 
you know, maybe it's already done. Jeremy Grant has earned the respect of so many people in the league already. Who's to say that he can't be a leader? You know, who's to say that Isaiah Stewart's hustle um, on both ends of the floor and the passion that he plays with isn't a form of leading by example. So I don't know if you need these older veterans to 100% steer the team in the right direction. And, you know, if Weaver and Casey decide that that is the case, you don't necessarily have to bring in someone who plays significant minutes to do it. You could pay someone a vet men deal and have them at the end of the bench. And, you know, when the team's all out at a restaurant eating dinner, he could be the veteran leadership then. But that doesn't mean it has to be while we're playing, you know? Yeah, I mean, they said right now because those two guys are gone. It'll be leadership by committee now. Yeah, that's so, what Casey mm-hmm. said. Yeah, so I think so. I think real quick before we further, it should be mentioned also that that Matt Stafford's tenure in the Lions ended with multiple championships. So I mean, it was uh, <laughs> that's not Stafford's fault. Yeah, I know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but uh, sorry, go ahead. That now, one now, hurt, now, man. Now, now we've gotten that very very important point. Said it, gross. Yeah. Now I'm sad. Now that one hurt. <laughs> I'm looking at my Stafford jersey hanging behind me. I don't know what I should do with it now. It's okay. When you feel bad about the Lions, just uh, remember that the two best players in franchise history both retired to get away from the franchise. They did? Oh, I've never thought about that before. Yes, that's cra- that's the first time that's come up. <laughs> yep, exactly. They both retired to get away from the Lions. Uh, that's so weird. Like I feel like nobody ever talks about that. That's weird. Yeah. It's never brought so, up. <laughs> yeah, nobody ever says that, yeah. Uh, for a second there, I didn't realize you were kidding. Uh, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, very. Yeah, I, I, uh, my my facetiousness uh, detected didn't work too well there. So yeah, I did the anti facetiousness, and then it's just like a yeah. yeah. It's, then it's an infinite loop. Yeah. So. In any event, yeah, I would say yeah, it's it's good to have that veteran leadership. Yeah, you did say that Casey was uh, Casey talked about doing about doing it by committee. Yeah, I don't know. It's it, it's always it's always hard to just just hard to say unless you know unless you know more about the locker room and. I know that Wayne Ellington was brought on in part for floor spacing, but also in part because, uh, you know, he's just apparently a super nice guy. And uh, he replaced Langston Galloway in, in, in terms of uh, just in terms of that role of floor spacing and veteran leadership. I'm, it's, I'm still curious as to why, if you could have Galloway on a, on a minimum contract, uh, I almost would have preferred him because there's not as much you can do with him. So Casey didn't really use him as much. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, stop Casey from trying. Yeah, I mean Galloway had a good season too, and uh, I don't know. I, I think I would have just preferred a guy who would just stand in the corners for the most part. But you know that that's just my bias against against wanting uh, Wayne Ellington to have a significant role of any kind. I am glad that uh, there was a chance that when Delama's out, that we would see Rodney Bergruder playing major minutes point guard. Thank goodness that didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully. So, but back to back to the trade deadline. So the other, it's the only two other players I see uh, potentially being moved. Well, I don't know. I'll, I'll, maybe maybe more than two, maybe less actually. So we start with Seku. I don't think he'll be moved. So Seku Seku is just really he's having a tough season. Frankly, he's looked like garbage. He's just he's been really bad. Here's the thing people just remember about Seku when he was taken 15th overall in in 2018. No, 2019. Excuse me. He was a player. People were basically the, the sentiment around him at the draft was he's really raw, might have a lot of potential. You're not drafting him for now. You're drafting for several seasons down the line. He ended up on the lineup last season because of injuries. You know, I, I would I would guess that if you looked at the team's plans, there were no plans for him to play in the last season. 
And possibly because the team, I would imagine, thought that they would still be competing this season. There are probably no plans for him to be playing this season either. He'd be in the G League, and he might be in the G League now, if uh, if, if if not for the for the current circumstances and the drive deciding not to go. So, I'd say give him yeah. time. Like just give the guy time. The, the Pistons have no nothing to gain beyond a roster spot, maybe like a second round pick by cutting him loose. I, I, I just don't. I just don't see any reason. Asfi is another one, uh, and, but I only see the the need to move him if you really want the roster spot next season or just really don't want to pay him. You're not going to get much of a return for him. And if he can pick up a shooting again, a guy who can shoot at a really high level on, on, on threes that have a high degree of difficulty, can do some attack in the basket, is good in transition, and can create some for his teammates off the dribble uh, at a low cost, that's the kind of guy you want to keep for when you actually want to start uh, trying to succeed in the league. And beyond that, I mean, uh, I would trade Rodney Magruder for four first-round picks and four pick swaps. You know, uh, <laughs> if, if the Sixers want their, you know, their their third superstar, but but no less than that, yeah. Yeah, those <laughs> are the bath right. salts coming up again, eh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Magruder is Magruder. I did. I mean, there's there's been talk that you know there's a connection between him and uh, and Troy Weaver because Weaver knew his uncle or something. I'd rather just have kept Musa on the team, but who knows? Maybe Magruder is good behind the scenes. But uh, ultimately, Magruder is a 29 year old who's never had a good season in the NBA and would probably be sitting on this couch right now, proverbially speaking, if if the Pistons had kept Musa instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we come to Davidis Servitas. Uh, honestly, his presence on the team this season is a complete mystery to me. Uh, I, I would have to assume they don't think he's ready at all, and. Uh, you know, he, he doesn't get minutes even when the team is horribly, you know, even when the game is completely out of reach one way or the other. Uh, I, I would guess that they're just holding him out to to keep from ruining competitive integrity in the NBA. You know, you don't want <laughs> or, or just, you don't want the team to win the rest of its games for the rest of the season by playing. No, it's all about parity. It's all about parity. Yeah, it's about parity, and you don't want that high draft pick, too. If you know, the minute you put him on the floor, uh, it, it's all over. I mean, the guy has a plus 30 net rating right now. I mean, uh, that's, this is a joke. It's played like nine minutes. <laughs> but um, So really, the only person I see getting moved to the deadline is DeLon, right? I mean, maybe, who knows, maybe you just ship off Ellington with him as just kind of a go to a fun, you know, go to a better team. But I don't think Ellington would be going anywhere. Certainly not for a trade asset. But I doubt he'll be going anywhere, period. Uh, because I, I think I would have to guess that they, that they value him more than an additional roster spot. He can sign 10-day uh, contract soon. So you might see the Pistons giving some guys some looks there. Uh, honestly, I would just dump. O- <laughs> You're going to owe Okafor against Gab next season. I would just get rid of the guy right now. Well, not right now. I would get rid of him in the offseason. I wouldn't mind seeing him go right now. The guy has no upside. I don't know what he's doing on the roster at all. Totally I agree. completely forgot about him. Yeah. yeah uh, I actually forgot he was a person until you yeah. just said that. Yeah, he has, he has one NBA skill, and that's scoring underneath the basket. He's bad at everything else. So, mm. yeah, I would uh, – I don't know why Frank, Frank – I, I, if I were them, I would cut Frank Jackson loose right now because uh, you've got, you know, three potentially, you know, between Hayes and Dennis Smith Jr. and, and, and Saban Lee. I mean, uh, whatever. I, I was surprised when they signed a point guard anyway. Who knows? Make, give it a spot to a center or something like that. I don't know. No. So, uh, I know we've gone way off track. Yeah, DeLon's the only player I see being moved to the trade deadline. Maybe mm-hmm. if somebody really wants me. Maybe. Maybe. And I'd like to bring up Bruce Brown. People have asked about Bruce Brown. Why did the Pistons trade him? If I had to guess, uh, you know, I read that uh, James Edwards said that, that, that Brown had not had a good kind of mini training camp that was over the summer, I think. And honestly, he's in the perfect place on the Nets in which he does not need to do anything on offense, but just get open for easy looks under the basket or on cuts. 
Uh, they don't need him to shoot threes, and that is an absolutely integral aspect of his effectiveness there because he is not a floor spacer. Yeah. If I had to guess, I would say that, uh, that you know, there's been talk that Weaver just wants to get rid of everybody who wasn't there before. I would guess that, you know, he's a 24-year-old with very limited upside, and, and Weaver just, you know, would prefer to have the pick in the roster spot over Brown. And I'm surprised to see him move, though, in, in, in terms of his, his character impact. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know about you guys. I'm I'm pretty happy for Bruce. Like this is one of those very very rare situations in pro sports where you can feel genuinely no regret or remorse or like a feeling of what if when someone leaves and then you know performs relatively well elsewhere. It's like it's I, I think it's pretty clear that Bruce was traded because we were going to have an influx of of younger players who um, we wanted to prioritize getting minutes for. And if Bruce Brown were still on this team, we would probably be complaining that, you know, he's playing over Hayes or he's playing over Lee or he's playing over Dennis Smith Jr. It's like, it's really not a big deal. And and he's in a really good situation in Brooklyn. So it, it makes me feel good to see him happy because he showed up to Detroit. He, you know, played his ass off and and, and he was he was a lot of fun to watch while he was here. And I, I wish him nothing but the best. I have no hard feelings. And I'm also not upset that he's gone either. Like it's, it's, it's a win-win, one of those rare win-win situations. Yeah, I agree with what you said, Dante, about uh, Bruce Brown being one of Casey's favorites and that he uh, he probably would be taking quite a few minutes away from some of these guys who are kind of deeper in the rotation but are now showing out. Uh, maybe we don't see that Saban Lee is actually a really, really good uh, positive presence and a good piece for the future if Bruce Brown is here. Because, again, I don't think he has the highest upside without a jump shot, and that's kind of essential. That's what we need him to do. The only thing I do miss is his leadership off the bench. Uh, he was a very vocal leader. He took Seku under his wing uh, straight after he got drafted. Those are the things I miss. And then everybody misses the fact that this guy, like, he really did um, try really hard. And he was very animated on the court. And he had a lot of art. And that's stuff that you miss, of course. But uh, I, I think moving on from him and the subsequent trades, uh, that, that big trade with Brooklyn and the Clippers uh, – I think it worked out for the best. I really like the pieces that we got back. I think having a guy who's more complete like Sadiq Bey is worth it. So I agree. That's all yeah. I that's all I would say about Bruce Brown. Yeah, I would I would say uh as far as I know, he actually wasn't part uh of the trade that brought that brought Bay to the Pistons. He was folded into it later. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was uh, so it he wasn't really he wasn't a requirement for ending up with, with Sadiq Bay. That was just the initial three team trade that that sent number nineteen to the Pistons, Kennard and four second round picks to the to the Clippers and uh Landry Shamet to uh to the Nets and he was just folded into it later, much as uh, Christian Wood was folded into the sign and trade with the Rockets later on. Uh, but whatever the case, yeah, it's it, he it's an ideal fit for him with the Nets, where he doesn't need to space the floor, he can just play defense, at which he is good, but not elite, and just cut to the basket. And, it, you know, with the Pistons, you don't have that luxury. The vast majority of teams, you don't have that luxury. You know, if you don't have that, you know, multiple Hall of Fame talents, you need to shoot threes. You just need to. There's no exception. And last season, he was bad at shooting threes. You know, his, decent, his, his, uh, his percentage was illusory because he could shoot from the corners. He did it on low volume. But above the break, he was a disaster. And if you can't shoot from above the break, you're going to be a spacing liability, particularly if, like Brown, you're awful at attacking the basket off the dribble. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so he could either be an effective player on the Nets or he could be a bad player on the Pistons. You know, he was he was, he was in, in, not bad, but not, you know, it's 
he was a liability last year on offense and and that wiped out his you know his, his value on defense was not enough to compensate for that and it's very rarely for any nba player going to be enough to compensate for that all right i'm moving on so we've uh got the uh, the Pistons' second half schedule to talk about. The Pistons basically have played; uh, they've been on a top five in terms of schedule uh, difficulty of schedule so far. Uh, I believe top three actually. That's going to change. Uh, they're going to have one of the easiest schedules for the second half of the season. Hopefully, that doesn't mean too many more wins. Uh, like, like we've said, I mean, having a, the best odds at the difference maker in this draft is paramount, absolutely paramount to this rebuild in the Pistons' future. Uh, you, you don't want to be like the Red Wings of. Uh, up two seasons ago who were terrible and then like one, I don't know, like eight of their last 11. Uh, it's not good. I mean, you can say what you want about, Oh, th- the future looks bright or, you know, they're really coming together. It's still bad. <laughs> you know, it's not worth it. You know, who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe more outsider will turn out to be very good anyway. Who knows? But you don't want it. You just, you just don't want to win the games down those games down the stretch. Uh, or, you know, it's like it's been said. If you are the worst team in the league, you are guaranteed a top five pick. And this is a five deep draft. Uh, now, does it look like the Pistons will get a, you know, be the worst team in the league, but, you know, by record? Uh, unfortunately, no. The Timberwolves have been a disaster all season. They were without Carl Anthony Towns. D'Angelo Russell was terrible. Then D'Angelo Russell got injured. Uh, he and Towns have played like less than 100 minutes together, I think. And they, they had a bad coach whom they fired recently. And I'm Malik Beasley, who is their third best scorer, is out for 12 games thanks to his legal troubles in the offseason. Uh, and they've got a difficult schedule the rest of the way. Not looking good. Who knows? Maybe D.O. will come back and and Beasley will come back and everything will come together under a new coach and we'll start winning games. That's all we can hope for. There are only two wins beyond the Pistons right now, but uh, that might grow. Uh, other emerging threats. The uh, So, worth saying, we predicted... It's not we were right, but we also thought that the, that the Wizards would pick it up once Bretons got better, once uh, once Westbrook got better. And they both improved, and the Wizards have, I think, won five of their last six. So uh, they're probably out of the running. Uh, the Magic are on the way down. Uh, they should stabilize, I think, a little bit when they get Aaron Gordon back. Uh, Vucevic, of course, has been great. No, not great. He's been very good. And... Uh, you know, who knows? Maybe if they really have playoff aspirations, you try to unload uh, DeLon right onto them. Uh, their their point guards right now are, are Jason Randall and Michael Carter-Williams. That's not a situation you'd ever... Cole want. Anthony was injured, yeah. Oh, right. Cole Anthony as well. He was terrible before he got injured, though. <laughs> and he was he was playing the role that we... Uh, that that uh, I was concerned he would, and that others... Uh, you know, he's a rookie. Most rookies aren't good in their first season. But yeah, he was playing that sort of Austin Rivers-like role where he just likes to shoot and doesn't really distribute much. But who knows? Maybe it would be better next season. But this season, I don't think so. Uh, next, the Kings. It was a big loss against them last night because they've been way on the way down. Uh, their defense is comically bad. Uh, the Cavaliers are plunging. And uh, then the Rockets without Christian Wood. Uh, Oladipo is out. Of course, he was Harden. Oladipo is out too. Hopefully, they will uh, will turn in the other direction once those two players come back. But uh, it's getting a little dicey. Yeah. Uh, but the, those teams, uh, the Magic, the Kings, the Cavs, and, and the Rockets are all within four wins of the Pistons. So yeah, we gotta try harder. <laughs> exactly. I wish this team would be the Mavericks of 2018, 2019. Uh, who? Uh, no, 2017, 2018. Excuse me. 
uh, who were completely blatant about tanking. I mean, Rick Carlisle would put his bench warmers in in the fourth quarter of close games. Uh, they almost beat the Pistons once anyway. <laughs> uh, but uh, Those are fun days. Yeah, uh, and, and they got that number five pick, which they were able to package with their uh, 2019 first and, uh, and uh, trade to the Hawks and select Luka Doncic. So, yeah. In any event, uh, so we're just going to end with uh, a draft profile of Evan Mobley, who is projected right now as the number two by, by many experts after Kate Cunningham, Cunningham. Excuse me. So uh, why don't you take it away, Tommy? Yeah, he's definitely one of the most interesting prospects in this draft. Uh, I don't have him at two for just a few reasons, but I haven't really ranked everybody. Yet. I, I feel I find that my rankings just shift so much. I'm kind of holding back on that for now. But Evan Mobley. Kind of a hard prospect to round out because he's not a typical player, and it's it's hard to even make player comps. I see a little bit of Brandon Clark in him, uh, just on his in his in terms of his movement and uh, the way he plays around the rim. But then there's a lot more. Uh, he's playing. It's it's hard to make player comps because he's playing a different role in today's league than he would have 10, 15 years ago. I think before he would have been like a power forward, uh, but certainly a, a unique player now. I see this guy as a center. Uh, you start with his measurements. He's a seven foot, two hundred fifteen pound big, uh, very lanky. His body reminds me of KD. Uh, don't think he's a small forward though. Ninety percent of the time, I envision him as a five. And we've talked a lot on here about how playing Christian Wood at the five was so great for our offense. And while I think that there are a few key differences between Mobley and Wood, I think you'd reap a lot of the same benefits. Uh, so starting with his offense, there's plenty to love. Decent shooter, low volume three-pointers, averaging 30%, 33%, sorry. and uh, But half the time, he doesn't even take it per game. Uh, he demonstrates really nice touch and a lot of scoring versatility around the rim and in the paint. A lot of turnaround hooks, lay-ins, cuts for dunks. And on the drive, he can pass out of the short roll or finish with length at the basket. He uses finesse to work one-on-one, which is why he kind of reminds me more of Brandon Clark, where he's a finesse player and Christian Wood was a lot more power. And uh, when he gets all the way there, he, he does play with power, similar to uh, Brandon Clark, but he's just effortless with his elevation. Uh, tons of fun to watch, but he mo- operates mostly from the mid post in the half court. And then that this is like the biggest thing with him that like makes him so unique. Uh, he's a fantastic passer. His height allows him to see over defense, and he keeps the ball cocked in over his head ready so that he can get the ball away quickly. And his passing, it just makes him special. He's showing great vision and recognition at the college level. He knows how to move the ball when he's getting doubled. And that's something that, you know, a lot of these bigs kind of struggle with is recognizing, okay, I can find the open man. And he is able to do that. Uh, defensively, there's, I mean, there's definitely potential, but he's already showing like really, really good defensive showing. Uh, on the drives, he's a wall at the rim, averaging three blocks a game with a seven foot five wingspan. He's going to force tough shots and floaters and his lack of bulk. Like he's a really skinny player. It allows him to move really well offensively and defensively. And you really see this when he's contesting pick and rolls and he's able to make up space between runners and drop into the paint the way modern centers have to. Uh, For me, the real concerns are taking with taking Mobley this higher is that, you know, this potential value, it's it's really good Uh, taking a center. I think we both have reservations about that. But Mobley is still definitely worth being in this conversation. And then again, his weight. Uh, it allows him to be fairly mobile, but a guy that tall and that slim, it just makes me nervous. Uh, and then my biggest issue with him 
is that he doesn't look that assertive about there. And some will argue that that's just him being smart and playing within himself. And that's certainly true to a certain degree, but I'd guess that uh, it's, it's more of him. You'd hope that a guy his size would be taking more of those tough shots and creating a little bit more for himself. He had a 0.0 field goal attempt against Utah game against Utah. And I think that's the big difference between him and Christian Wood right now. Wood was initiating contact on drives and making his own offense. Mobley is just, he feels like another piece. Uh, and I feel like he would fit that team really well where these are, these guys are playing really unselfishly, but at this point in our rebuild and at this high in the lottery, you kind of want somebody who's going to be able to create a bit more for themselves, be that guy that, you know, you need a bucket late in the game. You give the ball to him and you hope that he can get it. So as far as his fit with the Pistons, I think he could really benefit from playing with Plumlee. Honestly, I know that not everybody likes him, but Plumlee plays a pretty unselfish game and he's pretty good at positioning himself, except for, I mean, none of us really like it when he, takes those up fakes on the perimeter, but that's besides the point. Uh, but the passing game, I really think he could learn from him there. So there's a lot of reasons to love Mobley, and I, I don't know that he's like the number two pick in my eyes right now, but definitely a very intriguing prospect. Yeah, it would mean that's one of uh, Plumlee or Stewart would pretty much need to go, but you yeah. eat that easily, yeah. gladly. <laughs> you know, yeah. That's just how it is. Uh, so uh, who we, do, we, do we have up on uh, the dockets? Uh, for next week. How about Kaminga? Go with Kaminga? All right. Yeah. Saving Cunningham for last? Yeah, and then Jalen Green. I really like Jalen Green, so we can go with Kaminga because there's gotcha. a lot of hype around him right now too. Excellent. All right, so that'll be it for today's episode. Uh, thank you all for listening. We'll catch you next time.